Father, we thank you for your word. We approach it as it is, in truth, the holy written word of God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and you make it alive to each and every one. That you are the one that translates it into life for us. That it doesn't become simply a religious thing, but it becomes very part of our life. It integrates and becomes the very substance of what we live. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes it possible for us to enter into that depth of relationship, that depth of oneness, that koinonia with you, the intimacy where we can hear your voice so clearly and participate in that. And so we thank you. We give you praise and we give you glory. We thank you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. Grant unto us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That our hearts would be flooded with light. And we might know and understand and experience the expectation, the hope of our calling. We might experience the riches of the glory of your inheritance for us as saints. And we might experience the exceeding greatness of your power that you release towards us who believe. That same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same authoritative power that seated him at your own right hand. Far above all the principalities, power, might, and dominion in every name that is named. That Jesus, you are our head, our authority. We are your church. So we thank you for the power, for the authority, for the wisdom, the revelation, the understanding, the provision that you give us. Speak to us today. Teach us. Lead us and guide us. We thank you. We give you glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving for everything that will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning once again, church. How are you doing? Praise the Lord. It's great to see you. Why don't you look at somebody next to you say, the life of God dwells in me and the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Thank God for the victory that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Said, so thank God for the victory that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, he's given you the victory. There's no reason to be defeated. No reason to be beat down. No reason to be depressed. No reason to be oppressed. I know we can think of many reasons, but that's where we get our mind off of him instead of on him. But when our mind is stayed on him, there's peace, there's righteousness, there's joy in the Holy Ghost. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Praise the Lord. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How many of you belong to the kingdom of God? Amen. So there's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Some translations say your reasonable service of worship. To present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, you know, in the upcoming weeks, we've been talking about, uh, you know, we entitled the series, uh, I was thinking, we're segueing, segueing into that, uh, this small series of messages and some like it that we've talked about certain mindsets. And so when we talked about I was thinking, really, uh, you know, you can be thinking a number of different things throughout. You can sit here and listen to a message and go away from the message and filter it through a wrong mindset. And the very word of God can end up being filtered through a mindset. You can hear a healing message, but if your mindset is really, I'm sick and I'm, I'm really uh, in trouble and really God's doing something maybe to punish me because I've done something wrong and so I've been spending all my time and you can hear what Jesus has done for you and all that and, and get excited about it and then go from there and by the time you know you're about midweek you're thinking well maybe that doesn't work but it's not that it doesn't work it's a matter that it filters through a mindset or what Paul calls a stronghold that is contrary or an enmity to the obedience of the word of Christ. And he builds those things up in us so that we don't actually, or not able to process properly what God is saying because there's always this contradiction that pops up in our mind that when we try to say, this is what the word of God says, there's a thought that pops up that is contrary or in disobedience. So when we read that scripture, we think a big thing, I'll pull down that one stronghold that is telling me to do this, but it's more constant. The enemy is more persistent than we know. And so just the moment you're like, I'm excited about that, that question will come in your mind, right? He goes clear, clear back to the garden. What did God say? Oh, God didn't say that. You won't really die. And he starts a, a motion contrary or in disobedience to God. They meditated on that. They thought about it until that thought of disobedience created disobedience, contrary to God. So he's never changed his strategy. So there's very important aspects of our life that really I believe God wants to expound upon and expand upon. And so we're going to take a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about the mindset of marriage. That went over big. I mean, you're here, people are married. I'm already married, that's fine. And every time you talk about marriage, my marriage gets challenged and so... Uh, and uh, some people are like, let's do it. And single people are like, oh, okay, well, when am I going to do the next three weeks? Well, I encourage you to come. Because divorce isn't at 50 to 60%, even in the church, because we enter it with a proper mindset. So young people, you might not be married, but if you understand some of these things, you might enter into marriage with a better mindset. Those of us who are married, I believe God will help us with some things. If you've been married and you're no longer married, there's no condemnation, but God will help you understand some things because marriage really is something that God set up and it's very important and God loves it. God loves it and we're to love what God loves and he hates divorce. He doesn't hate divorced people, he hates divorce. And so we hate what God hates. And if we begin to do that and not just get along with the world of like, it happens. Come on, it just happens. No, it doesn't just happen. The enemy is actively at work destroying something that God loves. 
And hopefully we'll bring out no matter where you are, because it's God and the relationship and the parallel of that relationship, the understanding of the mindset of marriage will help us really uh, explode uh, in our Christian life, in our Christian life. The mindset of marriage will help you grow in your Christian life. So Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 13. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. says, and here, this is the uh, message translation. It says, and here's a second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. Do you know why? Simple. Because God was there as a witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows. Broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So, guard the spirit of marriage within you. You might highlight that, underline that, make a note of that. Guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of angel armies. I hate the violent dismemberment of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. You make God tired with all your talk. How do we tire him out, you ask? By saying God loves sinners and sin alike. God loves all. And also by saying judgment, God's too nice to judge. So we find ourselves in a culture and in a society that really has just said, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, how you live. God's okay with all that. God loves sin and sinner alike. No, he loves the sinner. He hates the sin. And there will be a judgment. Every single person will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what they've done in the body, whether good or bad. And so this, uh, if we get out, the, the enemy gets this propagating that this is the way it is. He says, listen, this will turn everything. And so he brings us to this point as he says, and he brings this about. He says, guard the spirit of marriage that is within you. Guard the spirit of marriage that is within you. So I might be expanding a little bit, but just stay with me. In each and every person, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of marriage, somebody say marriage. The spirit of marriage, the spirit of covenant is within you. For every believer, there's a covenant marriage between you and him. There's a spirit of marriage that understanding the spirit of marriage, the plan of marriage, connects you more deeply with God. When you get connected more deeply with him in that relationship, it affects everything around you. But he says, I'm going to bring this parallel. I'm going to talk to you about this covenant relationship that I've designed between a man and a woman, that they might operate in it, that they might have a greater understanding of me. And not only will they, the two of them, 
them have a greater understanding of me, but their offspring, their children will have a greater understanding uh, of me. And the culture that they live in will begin to understand me greater because they understand from the spirit of marriage, a covenant with me, which expands the covenant with their spouse, their children, and into the culture that they live in. And so it becomes very detrimental. It becomes very, uh, really actually detrimental to the church, detrimental to society for the church to let down and just go with the way of the world. Because marriage is so important, marriage affects everything. Marriage, without a strong marriage, you can't have a strong church. Without strong families, you can't have a strong community. Marriage affects every part of life and every part of society. And so in 1942, a Harvard sociologist, not a Harvard preacher, a Harvard sociologist, uh, studying the downfall of great cultures, the downfall of great cultures found this to be true about the downfall of great cultures. And if we aren't very careful, we'll find the downfall of our great culture that we live in. Number one, downfall of the culture. Marriage loses its sacredness as it is frequently broken by divorce. Marriage loses its sacredness as it is frequently broken by divorce. Number two, the traditional meaning of marriage is lost. So this is not new to our society. We think we're very progressive, but we're regressive. Every great society has turned this direction and ended in ruin. So we can make a choice to say, we're not turning that direction. We are going to repent and turn. Repent and turn. So again, you may say, why are you talking about this? Well, we are the body of Christ. So whether or not individually we are in a a situation, as a couple we're in a situation, say, "I'm I'm good with this. No, it affects all of us. Right, And if the body of Christ has almost exactly the same divorce rate as the world, then the world has crept into the church in this mindset and this understanding. And so we could actually begin to embrace what God says and turn this. And if we turn this and we repent, he said he'll heal our land. There's something that will take place that the church could be a defining force in moving and changing their idea about this covenant of marriage that's vital important to God, to the church, to our culture, and really to us individually, obviously. Number three, the feminist movement abounds and women lose their inclination for childbearing. So every great culture, you know, we think feminism is just something that rose in the 60s in America. No, this idea has been around to bring about the destruction of great cultures. Number four, There's increased public disrespect for parents. Number five, increase in juvenile delinquency, promiscuity, and rebellion. Number six, the hostility of pseudo-intellectuals to the family soon spreads to the common people, sealing the doom for society. And number seven, there's an increased acceptance of adultery and sexual perversion. Wow. So every one of those is an attack on marriage and the family. 
an attack of marriage on the family. So the family is such a vital part of God's design for any society and any structure to be successful and to be prosperous. And so the enemy attacks it with great fervor. And so uh, to understand this right off the bat, even though when we get married, and and many of you know this, even though when we get married, you know you have a marriage uh, license, uh, a marriage contract that you sign. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. Amen. I like what one writer wrote about this. Uh, Three things. A covenant is based on trust between parties. A contract is based on distrust. A covenant is based on unlimited responsibility. A contract on limited liability. A covenant cannot be broken if new circumstances occur. A contract can be voided by mutual consent. Wow. So if we take the line, I just entered into a contract with my spouse, there's lots of things that we look at. Like, this is limited liability. I'm coming in uh, looking at liability. Uh, This can be broken at any point, right? And so covenant says, I'm in this. It's a lifelong thing. Just as God made a covenant with us. And that covenant is on shared and unlimited responsibility. So we see all kinds of breakdowns as we talk about this. This will filter through your mindset if you're not careful about, well, what if? Well, what about? Well, if this happens. And so you'll see right away that these good principles, they're established in the Word of God they've brought forth, that based on your experience, based on cultural norms, if you filter it through that, you'll lose what God's saying. But if you'll allow the Spirit of God as we go through this to enlighten our hearts. It'll strengthen your marriage. It'll strengthen the church. It'll begin to strengthen our culture and be an outreach in that. Because you see, marriage is not for you anyway. My marriage to Tasha wasn't for me, and it wasn't for her. Although when we got married, I thought it was mostly for her. I came in like a knight in shining armor. I sweeped her off her feet, threw her on the horse. We went to the castle, and uh, soon she's like, man, where's your horse? Um, There's just things that change. So you think that, you think I'm in this. But really, marriage is for God. Marriage is for God. God created it. He loved it. And really, we get to this point. I love what one minister said. He said, your sexuality isn't for you. It's for God. Why? Because the one thing that God gets out of this creation is a family. That's what he was looking for from the beginning, a family. And how that family comes about, being. And so we're like, this is all mine, and we don't understand. Again, we get out of covenant thinking. Our mindset isn't covenant when we think about marriage. And if it's not covenant when we think about marriage, when we think about God, it's all about us, it starts to break down right away because covenant is always about the other person. We enter into covenant, bringing all that we have and all that we are into that covenant. And a covenant is about strength. It's about bringing your strength. They bring their strength. So my strength overcomes her weakness. Her strengths overcome my weakness. And when we begin to see how that fits together, God has a great plan of great 
power to be resurged or, or to surge into the earth, into culture. But when we don't understand that, there's a breakdown and it's a power struggle instead of a power union. And the breakdown of society happens with the breakdown of the family because we don't have a mindset of how these fit together. Are you all with me? Praise the Lord. So Miles Monroe said this years ago, he said, the purpose of a thing is found in the mind of the creator of the thing. The purpose of a thing is found in the mind of the creator of the thing. He subsequent to that said that where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. And so we have much marital abuse. Not just physical abuse, just abuse of the marriage covenant. But simply, we're not, we're not casting blame. God's going to help us, right? It's simply because of a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge, or a wrong mindset about marriage. How easy can it get just in culture, the mindset of marriage? I'm going to marry the, the, the prom queen and the prom queen. If I marry the prom queen, that's really going to speak something about me, about how handsome I am, about how popular I am. And so I got to just marry the right person that makes me look good. And all of a sudden you enter into a covenant with that mindset and you start to wonder, why does this break down? Or our, our, our young people today are entering into marriage with a mindset that you get to go to Bora Bora and you fly in helicopters and you lay on the beach and you make love on the beach and how romantic until you got sand everywhere that just makes you irritated. And it's all just a, a false idea of how things happen. It's like, let's roll around on the sand. Just, oh, I'm going to do, let's just do that. We saw it on TV. And then somebody's like, ew. And then you think, well, then we must not have a good marriage. <laughs> marriage is more real than that. But the world is propagating this mindset. And man, if it's not fun, and if it's just not, we're not always romantic and frolicking, maybe this isn't the right person. <laughs> Come on, it's much deeper than that. But what's going on? The world is trying to give a picture and a mindset so that when we enter into that, and it's not just that. It's a little bit of work. It's about giving instead of receiving. It's about taking thought and, and care for the other person instead of always being cared for in your mind. Now all of a sudden it starts to open up into what God planned and these other things start to take shape, but they start to take shape in such a solid way that listen, when I care for you and draw in and tap into and fit together in that power union, then the things that I've cared for start to generate a power that something comes back to me, a care comes back to me that is undeniable, and it's accurate. It's not based on my selfishness. It's based on actually what I need from the person that I'm married to because I've tapped into the power. I fit together with the power. All right, I better get moving. Wow. All right, where am I at? Does anybody know where I'm at? Praise the Lord. So we're talking about the purpose. This message, you could say, uh, is the purpose, the purpose for marriage. What is the, the purpose for marriage? And so number one, the purpose for marriage is 
to replicate the image of God in the earth. To replicate the image of God in the earth. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this, Then God said, Let us, somebody say us, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God said, the whole idea of this is to make man in our image. So Genesis chapter 1, God's giving a whole overview of creation. He's getting uh, to this place where he's uh, looking at creation. He's, he's giving us that big overview. And so we see this, that he wants to replicate himself in the earth. Number two, he wants to complete man and woman so that they experience companionship and eliminate aloneness. So you can write that word down just to think about it for a moment. Not loneliness, aloneness. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God comes down to chapter 1. He gives a broad perspective. This is how he created man in his image. Then he created them in his image. Right? He wants this to propagate. So then he goes into detail. He created man and he brought all the, he said it's not good. In verse 18, he says, it's not good. The Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable. I'll make him a helper comparable. So we see Adam uh, naming every beast of the field. God's lining him up. He's showing the wisdom of God. He's showing the very nature of God. He's showing part of the purpose that God has in marriage. He's, he, I mean, Adam's coming. He's like duck-billed platypus. Not good. That's not really a companion for me. Elephant. Yeah, sleeping next to the elephant, not great. Right? And every beast of the field, he comes and he names them, and not one in that whole period of time, however it took, not one of those animals that he named was found to be a helper suitable or comparable to him. And so that word, uh, helper, suitable, comparable, is a, really, if you break it down, look at it, it's, it's part of it is counterpart. God saw man, it wasn't good for him to be alone, so he made him a counterpart, a counterpart in the wisdom of God. Counterpart means a corresponding part, the part that answers to the other. The part that answers to the other. There's something in the marriage relationship that answers to one another. There's something in the spirit of marriage that's within us that begins to answer to the other. It's a union. It's, a, it's part of the intimacy that God created. It's a copy. It's a duplicate. It's the part which fits another. It fits another. As the key of a cipher. Hmm. So right here he says, I'm going to make a counterpart. Then in the New Testament, Paul says, it's a great mystery. 
the key to a cipher. He said a helper suitable is God created one that would stand opposite, stand opposite. A duplicate, a mirror image, opposite image, because God wants it to fit together. Spirit, soul, and body to fit together. And as we look at all the the purpose of marriage, hopefully you'll begin to see that this fitting together is so supernatural. It's such a a, a connection for the power of God that really uh, it's undisputable God had this plan and how it will affect everything around us and why the enemy is so intent on coming after marriages. Now listen, when I say that, you can go, oh, my marriage is under such attack. When we understand the mindset of marriage, the purpose of marriage, we draw on the authority from heaven and stop him. We don't let him have his way in our marriage relationship because God loves it. All right, so to make man in his image and his likeness so that there will be a union of togetherness, all right? So, again, let's just look at this. I saw uh, somebody do this analogy. It just ministered to me. So, you three guys get to, to be this part. Come up here. All right. So, you get to be God. Turn around and face. John gets to be God. Jordan, yeah. you get to be Jesus. Jacob, you get to be the Holy Spirit. Yes. So, you face like that. All right. So, God says... Let us make man in our image. Triune being Trinity. So we know God's made us spirit, soul, and body. There's always something in the creation of God about Trinity. About Trinity. So Rick and Jennifer, couldn't you come up here? All right. So this is God when he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So he said, I'm going to make man. Rick, you stand here. I'm going to make man. So he puts man on the earth, and he says, this man, it's not good. I'm looking. It's not good that he, he's alone, because he alone isn't this image. He alone is not this image. We're like, it's not good for man to be alone, because he's, he's, he's lonely. No, that's not why God didn't want him to be alone, because aloneness leaves him powerless, not lonely, powerless. This image created the heavens and the earth. So, he created a Christ-like man and a Holy Spirit-like woman and God at the center. So when we live, let's create them in our image. Father at the head, Jesus The Holy Spirit stands opposite. When the Holy Spirit came and fit with Jesus' humanity, he did miracles. He fit with his humanity. God overseeing, the Holy Spirit fitting. The Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't do anything the Father didn't say do. And everything he said, the Holy Spirit acted upon. He was an answer to that when Jesus said, be healed, the Holy Spirit moved in as the helper to the word. And so he made a Christ-like man, a Holy Spirit-like woman. I'll make a helper. Comparable. Opposite. Not in opposition. Opposite. They fit together. Thanks. You can be seated. So the number one purpose of marriage is the image of God in the earth. 
They fit together in that opposition. So the number two is that man and woman experience companionship and move away from aloneness. So the way that they're created, opposite one another, opposite. If you're not careful, it looks like opposition. But God created us opposite. So in every way, spirit, soul, and body, God created woman comparable to man to fit. So we can understand this a little bit best with the simple idea of electricity. When you just go to get coffee in the morning, if your coffee pot is unplugged, you have no power to make coffee. But if you take your coffee pot and try to plug it into the positive end of your coffee pot and try to plug it into another positive end to a cord, you get no power. Come on, the mindset of the world has said you can take a man with a man and have marriage. You can't take two positives and generate power. A woman with a woman. Now listen, people's minds are going to crude. I'm not being crude. There is the physical aspect, but there is mental, emotional, and spiritual connection when we understand how God created us in the same way, that there's physical propagation because we stand opposite and we fit together physically in a union that creates multiplication. So mentally and emotionally, we are opposite, but if we will take time, that fits together to generate more beneficial, intellectually more, spiritually more, with God being at the head of it. So listen, you can't have two negatives. You can't have a woman and a woman propagate. Why? Because there's no connection of the power that it takes to reproduce. So God made a woman to stand opposite in all of her ways, man, not opposing, but opposite that there's a way that they fit together. And when they fit together, right? If I was to take this plug right here, it's sitting here. There's all kinds of power and stuff going to wherever it comes from. And if I had a cord right here, if I I was smart enough, maybe next service I'll have a cord. If I have a cord, this cord is alone. This end of this cord is alone. And it's not good that it's alone. Because in its aloneness, it is powerless, That box right there, in its aloneness, is powerless. But the moment that I take that plug and plug it into that, they are no longer alone. They are fitted together. And the power begins to flow and generate for the very purpose that you plugged it in for. So marriage is this divine union between a man and a woman. And we look at it and just go, you know what? It just doesn't really matter. And a man can be with a man and a woman with a woman. And it doesn't matter. We should be able to do whatever we... No, that's all the mindset of the devil to break it down. And we've already seen when you break it down, you break down a whole society. Why? Because it becomes powerless. If the enemy breaks down the family, it's all to gain power over a culture. But if the family rises up and is connected, there's power, and the culture cannot dominate the family of God. 
I'm preaching better than your amen, but that's okay. All right, so number one is to replicate the image of God. Number two, man and woman, uh, for man and woman to complete, excuse me, to complete man and woman so that they experience companionship, right? So often we're not experiencing companionship because we're not fitting together. We're colliding. We're having a power struggle instead of a power union. And it will take time and effort to figure out strengths and weaknesses so we yield to the strength and it fits right into our weakness. And we give our strength so that it overcomes a weakness. And boy, in that, it covers a multitude of wrongdoing. It covers a multitude of mistakes. Instead of pointing out, you made these mistakes, you, you did this, I don't even know, I don't even know if we're right together. If we fit together, it covers a multitude of mistakes. And that's what God planned because he planned for it to live forever. He planned for it to endure knowing we would make mistakes with each other. There are a couple big mistakes. We're not getting into that right now. I know minds are going there. What about? Just be patient. We'll get to it. But see, that's it. We want to jump and not really understand the purpose. But where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So the number one purpose is to replicate the image of God on the earth. Number two is to complete man and woman so they experience companionship and eliminate aloneness. Number three, to uh, generationally perpetuate the nature and the values of his kingdom. The natures and the value of his kingdom. So in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, he's just listed all the things about marriage and the function and the role of a husband and a wife. And he says, this is a great mystery how two become one flesh. But I'm not really talking to you about marriage. I'm talking to you about Christ and his church. That's why I feel very confident that if you'll open up your ears to hear, you will develop, even in this, if you're not, even if you're not married, you'll start to develop a depth of relationship with God because marriage is that expression. Marriage is that understanding that when you take that same mindset of marriage and connect it through the Holy Spirit with the blood of Jesus, and God is the oversight, now all of a sudden you're going to experience the spirit of marriage with him, and it's going to expand upon that because what God is doing is a generational understanding that if husband and wife are together, it's a reflection of him in the earth. Their companionship, and they've eliminated aloneness, then it starts to pass into the church, and generationally we begin to see how we are joined together, how the family works, how the family of God works, and now generationally we perpetuate the kingdom on the earth. We think the kingdom is simply about signs, wonders, and miracles, but if the house, the home is broken down, the first place for miracles to take place is in the home. When your child wakes up in the morning sick and, 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 and crying, when we have that union together, that power together, we walk into the room, and the first place we lay hands on the sick and believe they'll recover and see a miracle is with our children. But when the home's broken, we're like, we need to get them to somebody. But we want to jump down the road a little ways. Say it should be happening in the church because it's not happening in my home. Well, thank God it can still happen in the church. I mean, God's so good, he moves between where our mistakes are because of that covenant. But the kingdom and how he set it up 
through marriage in the family. Powerful. All right, four things. This is his purpose. To multiply God's human family with righteous offspring. With righteous offspring. Praise the Lord. Wants us to have families that follow him. Again, Malachi 2.15, the Message Bible says, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. Again, when we go back to that, guard the spirit of marriage that's within you. So don't cheat on your spouse. We get into the New Testament, this covenant, this intimate personal relationship with God. And over and over and over again, he relates this relationship. And when we follow after the world, he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. And we go away from God and, you know, sometimes people misunderstand grace and think I can do whatever I want. And it's okay with God, but it's not okay with God. He's lining it out right here. And there's a spirit of marriage that we live out in the natural. We're not to be unfaithful. We're not supposed to cheat. But he said, the spirits of marriage within you, guarding it, will keep you from cheating on God. And the symptomatic when you read Malachi, when you read through different things in the Old Testament, is what happened is they had left God. And because of that, they began to have a marriage breakdown. And a family breakdown. So this understanding, this mindset of the purpose of marriage, if we'll process it, we'll allow the Holy Spirit to help us. It'll begin to affect how we view family. But back up a step, it'll take how we view our relationship with Him. That we're married to Him. We're in union with Him. How do two become one? He said, that's Christ in the church. We're enfolded one into one another. All of his strengths enfolded over our weakness. And the strengths that we have by being humans here on the earth overcame his weakness of not being here. And the Holy Spirit enfolded in that together. And so with him, we make this great power union with him. And then it expands out to a husband and a wife and the like relationship, a power union. It spreads out to that offspring that we have, godly offspring, raising our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The understanding of this union that we have between one another is an example of the union they have with God that they carry out when they get married. They keep that same mindset of that union instead of allowing the world to encroach upon us in that way. When you have that mindset of that union, you are not just looking for the star quarterback. You're not just looking for the prom queen. You're not just looking for somebody who goes to church. You're not just looking for somebody that you think will make up for your loneliness. You're looking for somebody who God has prepared. And you see that God's prepared them. The Holy Spirit has prepared them. There's a maturity in their own life 
that fits with the maturity in your life. When we have that mindset, we're not hanging around waiting on God to do something. We're growing in God, preparing ourselves to be the bride or the groom that is truly ready for what God has prepared. We're not waiting and thinking, I'll do all this after, after the case. Uh -uh, we'll fix this afterwards. Well, pastor, you don't know how hard it is to find a guy or a gal that really loves God these days. That's why we're teaching this. So we'll go single the rest of our life? <laughs> no, but the more people who know this, the more young people who grab this, the more they'll prepare themselves. There will be more men and women ready, prepared. Because we're even saying that right now, it's tough to find a young man, a young woman who loves God, who's mature in the things of God. It's tough to find them. So what? So we compromise? If we compromise, we just give place to the emotion and the flesh. It's the spirit of marriage that sustains us. We don't want to compromise. All right, two requirements of marriage. Two requirements of marriage. I know you're like, last week, last time we were together, three weeks ago, you said we were going to cover 10 mindsets. We are. But those won't help if we don't know the purpose. All right. Requirements of marriage. Number one, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Because it's a marriage, covenant means to cut. Because it's a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. Covenant means to cut. To cut. It's a sacrifice. We cut a covenant. We sacrifice. So it's a permanent relationship. Sacrifice means this in the Bible. We get to the point of going like, oh, whatever's left, I'll sacrifice. Ah. Sacrifice in the Bible means bring your best. Bring your best. So marriage demands that you bring your best. So I've done this. I'll just use me because might as well. Sometimes I come to work, have a number of meetings, do different counseling, do a bunch of stuff. And I come home and I'm like, don't talk to me. I've had a bad day. Everybody else starting in the morning Got my best. So I come home and say, nothing's left. Except for because of the grace of God, there's something left. So I say, we have a covenant. Make the adjustment on the way home. Say, I have to be ready to give her my best. Well, how do you do that when somebody takes? Because I understand the love of God. And I'm not filled with all my own resources. But I'm filled with the fullness of God. Why? Because I have this covenant marriage with God and He's bringing His best and pouring it into me if I will connect and receive knowing I'm standing opposite He's pouring in what I need. If I stand not opposite I resist that because I've dumped out. I don't have anything but if I stop and say God I've given forth what you put in me. Yes. I've given forth all day what you put in me 
And if I stop right there and say, I don't have it for my wife, I lie because I've given out of the resource he's put in me, the gift that's on the inside of me as a pastor, and to say, well, you've emptied the pastoral resource for the day, but he says, I've got plenty of husband resource left for the evening. I just have to understand it and receive it. Okay, all the wives are gone. Wife resource too. Both ways. It's a cut. It cuts both ways. All right. Second thing, commitment. These are requirements. Sacrifice and commitment. Commitment. Selflessness, service, cooperation, faithfulness, and generosity are necessary in our commitment. I want to read this. I read this article. All right, we're closing. Why don't you stand up? I read this article, thought it was very interesting coming to that point of commitment where we have to bring all of these God things and commit to them. It says, there are, a few, uh, there are a few life situations that test true Christianity more than the intimacy of the marriage relationship. Due to the close nature of the marriage relationship, sins of selfishness, pride, laziness, and impatience are readily exposed on a daily basis. The Apostle Paul vividly describes our natural tendencies in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, when he describes us as selfish, arrogant, and unloving. These tendencies are superimposed on the marriage relationship, thus testing Christian character in the areas of sacrificial love, respect, submission, forgiveness, and perseverance. Living together in unity with your spouse requires the wisdom to embrace biblical means of resolving conflict and demonstrating Christian love. So God has a purpose for this marriage union. And the devil will come against it. And in that, he'll expose every attribute of your flesh. But in that exposing of it, I believe that the enemy hurts himself where a true believer will have the mindset of marriage. Because when he exposes that selfishness, that impatience, that unloving, and says, see, you can't make it in marriage, you say, the unfortunate part of this devil is I'm not living from that old resource that you're trying to expose. As I have a union with her, I have a union with him. And the union with him means I plug in and the power flows. So that that power flowing into me, that life, that love, that patience, now plugs in to this relationship. power union. The purpose of marriage. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you this morning for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your word to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us to comprehend with all the saints 
your love and the facets of your love that really wrap around this spirit of the marriage covenant that is within each one of us. That each and every one of us, whether we are presently in a covenant bond of marriage or not, would begin to grasp this mindset and this purpose. And would, it would affect our relationship with you and our relationship with others. It would affect our future relationships. It would begin to change the way we live our life, the way we look at the culture that we live in. And now we begin to be transformed in the midst of our culture rather than being squeezed into it. But we don't buy in and allow the downturn of our culture with the very attack on marriage, but we put a stake in the ground and we take a stand for what you love. You love the family. You hate the breaking apart of it. So we determine in the Spirit to love what you love, to hate what you hate. Holy Spirit, move on every heart and every life. Teach us, lead us, guide us for every person that doesn't know you today. They don't know this union with you, the depth of this union with you. Bring a revelation to their understanding that they can have that marriage relationship with you, that union, that covenant with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here this morning, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. We've been talking about this power union, how it fits together. It really begins the spirit of that marriage, that spirit of that union comes through making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, becoming one in union with Him. If you're here this morning and you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you say, I want that union. It'll help your marriage. It'll help your relationship with your kids. It'll help how you view and see the culture that we live around because you have a union with Him in love. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you this morning. You enter into that relationship with him, that covenant that changes everything. Anybody at all just want to take this moment? Praise the Lord. If you're watching online, you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. I'd like to pray with you this morning, wherever you are. I can't see you. We'll pray this prayer together. If you pray this prayer, you'll enter into that relationship, oneness with him, that union. That spirit of marriage will be stirred up on the inside of you for that union with Jesus Christ. Why don't we all pray this together? You can pray this with us. Father God, I come to you this morning ready to lay down my way of doing life. I realize that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. You raised him from the dead so that I could be forgiven and made righteous. So this morning, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to be my Lord, to be the master of my life. Forgive my sin. Wash me clean. And make me righteous. Thank you for saving my life. And bringing me into a right relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you'd go onto our website, 
Go on to the button, share your story. Let us know you prayed that prayer. We want to get you some material that will help you walk forward in this great covenant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Say as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.